Hello and welcome back to the Sister Talk podcast. It's me, Morea Fells. It's been a while. How are you doing? I um, am really excited to dive into this new topic, which is all about our Christian journey, our Christian life and spiritual maturity and spiritual growth in Christ. Um, it has been a while bef- uh, since our last, since the last podcast that I released, um, and that has been a lot due to our season right now. Our season has just been very uh, challenging, being in transition uh, between nations, figuring a lot of things out, and um, also um, just getting our two retreats all in in order which is very exciting. We have the Australian retreat coming up in May and then the European retreat coming up in June. And I, yes, actually we still have a spot. I think we have one spot now only for the Europe retreat, maybe two. I have to double check that. Um, And in Australia, we might have space for one more. So if you are interested, it's not too late. Just um, send me a message and I'd love to um, see what we can put together for you. Okay, so moving on. Today we're talking about worship. Worship, it's my favorite topic. I love worship because it's it's so part of our life. It's such a it's 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 a bigger word than um it's a bigger uh how can I say this? It's not a word that's simply allocated to 30 minutes or an hour of your church service where you sing songs to the Lord. Mhm. I think you know that. Worship is actually, you know, the church services are often referred to as worship services because it's essentially that whole service is worship to the Lord. Uh, worship, though, is much, 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 much more than a service. It's much more than a allocated time. Worship is is a state of being and um, also a, um, a title that is attached to our identity in many ways. And though the Bible doesn't specifically spell that out, like your identity is a worshiper, um, I want to explore what I mean by that because um, regardless of whether you're creative and or not, if you're musical or if you dance or not, you worship the Lord. You are a worshiper. And um, one of my biggest um, convictions is that we humans – we are all built to worship God. And if we don't worship God, we will worship something else because we are built as worshipers. The Bible says in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians three sixteen to 17, the Bible says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? God's temple is holy and you are are that temple. Paul also repeats this in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And I believe the underlying context of this, his argument is lordship or allegiance, um, which dictates the direction of your life and the choices you make when building your life, when making decisions about how you will behave uh, in your sexually, how you will, um, how you will, uh, live your life in family, in community, etc. This this lordship situation, this is lo- this issue of lordship and allegiance to the Lord, uh, is very much coming down to your worship of the Lord. Because ultimately, whatever is Lord over your life is also what you worship. 
And I believe that God, God's, God has built us humans since the coming of Christ. He has built us to be his temple. The temple in Jerusalem is no longer his main, um, uh, his main place of habitat. He's, he, he wants to reside within us. And according to God, we are perfect structures for, uh, to be temples. And we are the kind of temple that he wants to reside in. And so I want to ask you, like, what is a temple? What is the purpose of a temple? Temples are like so multifunctional. Temples were places where um, God meets humans, where priests um, are uh, working between kind of heaven and earth. They make intercession for people. It's uh, Worship is a place where um, offerings are given up. Oh, sorry, temples are a place where offerings are given up. Temples are a place where, um, where worship, of course, happens. Temples are a place where um, where the word of God is spoken out from. And, and the place where God wants all of this to happen is through you and through me. We are his temple. So um, if a person doesn't worship Jesus or if a person doesn't know Jesus, does that make them not a temple? I don't know. My personal conviction is that God made us to worship him. And if we don't know him, we're going to end up worshiping something else. We're ultimately created to worship God and we are not, and, and we're not big enough to overcome uh, our design to worship something. Everybody worships something. And if it's not God, it might be money. It might be power. It might be sex. It might be popularity. It might be beauty. It might be um, a sport team that they adore. It might be um, oh, family. It might be ministry even. And we we all have something built in us that we must live and die for something there's got to be something that we that makes us tick something that we're all about and if it's not the lord you my dear little temple friend will become a temple to something else or someone else so it's important that we actually start here because worship is basically what you and i have been built for and what is important is actually that our allegiance in worship is to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because when we worship him, we align with our destiny, we align with our identity, and we align with our purpose. I was reading Jonah a few years ago, and this verse jumped out at me. I had never read it before. It's, you know, Jonah, he's the guy who was swallowed by the big fish. Um, Jonah chapter 2 verse 8 he comes to this conclusion that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Let me say that again. Those who cling to worthless idols, so essentially those who are worshipping other idols which are worthless, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. When we decide that it is Jesus who we are going to make the Lord of our life and the one that we worship, we have access to the grace of God because we're designed to be in union with God and to worship him because temples, temples are the place of union between God and humanity. And when we have that union, we have access to the grace of God and all the fruit of the spirit and all the all the gifts that come from, from the Lord. 
So when we cl- if we if we become a temple to something else, let's say um, a temple to TikTok. <laughs> if you become a temple to TikTok or a temple to um, your family or your ministry, um, you actually forfeit the grace that could be yours in Christ Jesus because you're built to worship him, but instead you're giving your life over to something else. And this word is a sharp word because I know we all have moments where we we accidentally idolize something else and elevate its importance and priority over that of Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you and myself that we are temples of the Holy Lord. We are places of purity. We are places where he wants to rest. He wants to dwell. He wants to meet with us and he wants through us to meet and and release his word to the world. You are a king. We are kingdom of um, priests and kings. And part of that is actually the amazing fact that uh, you are you yes you are you are a um, priest and king that functions from a temple and you yourself are the temple also god is very clever when he made when he made it this way so he ultimately desires oneness and unity and union with us he he desires like a marriage with us he wants to work with us he wants to he wants um, that oneness, because when we are one with him, we function at our best according to our design and our design is to worship. So uh, what is worship? Okay, let's go a little bit deeper into that. So the Greek word, um, which is most often translated to worship, has a meaning very similar to this Hebrew word, shacha, which I don't know if I have... Uh, pronounce that right but the greek word is proskuneo <laughs> uh, get married make babies i'm sorry i can't i if i if i see a greek word i'm thinking of that film my big fat greek wedding anyway it comes from the greek word proskuneo which means to worship um to show respect to fall or to prost- prostrate before and it literally translates me it it literally means to kiss toward someone or to throw a kiss in token of respect or homage of homage and then in the new testament the usual meaning um, of worship is to bow or kneel before someone in reverence um yeah so in the old testament most meanings of worship are translated from the hebrew word shachach that word i tried to say before and that word is a verb meaning to bow down, to prostrate oneself, to crouch, to fall down, to humbly beseech, to do reverence, to worship. It's a way of showing respect to powerful people. It's a way of lowering yourself so that the one that you are reverencing is above you. It's essentially, it's a move, it's a, it's a position of the heart and, a, and a f- with physical obedience that actually lowers yourself, humbles yourself, and lifts up the one that you are worshipping. And with that context, we might be thinking, well, if I accidentally idolized something like, um, I don't know, what was an example I gave? Um, A sport team, how is that worship? How am I lowering myself to lift my favorite sports team up? I don't know if that's a good example. 
It's probably better for men. But anyway, usually when you love something a lot and you idolize it, you do make sacrifices for it. I mean, think of times you've been in love and the things you, the silly things we do when we're in love. The way we might, ex, we might even, you know, we, we, we stay up later. We, we uh, drive an hour just to see someone. We make, we do things that cost us something. Um, essentially is lifting that person or that cause above us and, um, and our own comfort. It's not as dramatic as physically kneeling down or bowing down, but I would say that our heart posture is quite similar when we um, elevate something like that. And I'm not saying that it's bad to make sacrifices for another person or, you know, to prioritize things, but what, what is actually dangerous is when that becomes our, our priority above the Lord because first, first and foremost is obedience, allegiance, uh, and union with God and worship to God in our whole life. Maybe even as I'm speaking, the Lord is knocking on your heart and just revealing areas where perhaps you've been idolizing other things. And that's, that's not to condemn or to feel guilty. That's more just to realize, oh, I have an opportunity to repent, which just simply means to turn away from one way and turn toward another way. And actually have when we turn toward the Lord, we have that access to the grace of God, um, which um, Jonah talks about. Okay, so let's continue this adventure of worship. So the Old Testament, when is worship first mentioned? Do you have any idea? Um, if you were a student at Impact, you probably know this. And I'm, I can hear you. I can almost hear you. Just say it a little louder. <laughs> worship was first mentioned in the Old Testament when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain to worship the Lord. So that context of worship, there was no guitar. There was no uh, choir. There was no um, singing. There was wood. There was a sacrifice. There was a knife. There was obedience. Worship in the Old Testament was pretty evident that it was something sacrificial. It was. In, it often involved a burnt offering, um, uh, rituals, laws, um, um, traditions, but they were all based out of um, a reverence toward the Lord. And of course, over time, that became more religious and like traditional rather than relationship driven. We'll get into that later. But my point here is that worship in the, in the original context of, of, of its word, it was at its heart an act of sacrifice, an act of um, obedience, an, an act of laying down your will to the Lord. Um, and then in the New Testament, the first time that worship is actually mentioned is when the wise men go to find Jesus to worship him. And worshiping from, from their perspective, if you want to just analyze what's going on in that scene, is they're coming to the Lord, they're bowing before him, and they give him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that kind of breaks open even further what worship is. So when we're sacrificing, we're laying our lives down, we're being obedient, and we're also giving a gift. We're giving a, a gracious, beautiful gift 
to him. And that might be also, that kind of lines up with that translation of worship meaning to kiss or to like blow a kiss in homage to somebody, which was the Greek, the literal translation of the Greek word, which uh, was pros, proskuneo, come from the Greek word proskuneo. Okay, so we've got this um, word, worship. We've kind of, I think we've unpacked it quite well. We've got some imagery to go with it. We've got the image of Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain. We've got the image of the wise men bringing gifts to Jesus. We've got some translations. Um, and we've got the all of that in context with you are the temple. You are the temple, my darling. You are the beautiful temple of the Lord in which he has chosen to reside and in which the, the modern version of offer, burnt offerings will um, uh, manifest. What is that? What, are this, what is this modern version of a burnt offering? When I'm saying modern, I'm not, I'm not meaning like relevant to today's society. I'm meaning modern as in New Testament, not Old Testament. So post the cross. Okay. So burnt offerings in the Old Testament, traditions, laws, and rituals, that was very much what worship was. And people became religious and they worshipped, if I can say that word even, quote unquote, worshipped out of tradition rather than relationship. But God was always clear that what he desired was the people's genuine loyalty and love. You can see that in Hosea, Hosea 6 verse 6. Um, Jesus also refers to that scripture when he's speaking to the Pharisees um, and he's saying that like, um, I don't desire, it's not burnt, burnt offerings that I desire. I don't have that scripture open in front of me actually. Um, dang, I should have prepared that one. Um, but check it out. Hosea 6 verse 6, God doesn't desire burnt offerings, but he desires a broken and contrite heart. I believe that is the one. Um, so that's, that's what God's heart always was, this broken heart. And um, what are you, <laughs> maybe you're hearing me say, talking about a broken heart and thinking like, what? God wants me broken hearted. <laughs> he doesn't want you broken hearted in the sense of, um, yeah, your boyfriend broke up with you and now you're broken hearted. That's not what we're talking about. A broken heart is a heart that is essentially, um, uh, what is that word? Well, broken, here's an image that will under, here we go. The woman who broke the alabaster jar at Jesus' feet is the perfect example. That alabaster jar was actually worth um, a year's wage and it was quite possibly her dowry, her marriage dowry, that would be the thing that was like her key to a future life in marriage to someone, which, you know, for women in those days to be married was kind of your only, your only way to having a, a successful life, to have a roof over your head and um, to have uh, children who would take care of you when you're older, the whole system. She broke that she just broke that. She like wastefully, if I can use that word, broke a year's worth of wages to anoint the feet of the Christ. 
And that is an that is an incredible act of worship that moved the heart of Jesus. And he said to this day, people from this day on, people will speak of this moment because it was so extravagant and it was it was this brokenness. I'm breaking myself at your feet, Jesus. I'm breaking my my control over my life. I'm breaking the my pride. I'm breaking my um my own strength and means and way to get to get through life. I'm breaking it at your feet because I I'd rather be broken at the feet of Jesus than have everything together without him. And I and in my breaking, I know that what comes out, though it's tiny in comparison to him, that is that is the most expensive gift I can give him. That's my life. I'm going to break it open like an alabaster jar and let my life belong to him and be at his feet. That's such a beautiful uh, image of of what worship really is. And it's it's really just this: I'm lowering my life. I'm humbling my life. I'm laying it at the feet of Jesus. When we realize what he is worth, there's we can't we you can't oh how do we hold back from giving him everything? Jesus Christ who gave his whole life for us. There is no more appropriate response than to break our life at his feet and give it to him and be that living sacrifice. Um, which is what I was eventually getting to with Old Testament worship versus the New Testament worship, um, where we aren't—we're no longer doing burnt offerings. Our, we don't smell like smoke all the time, but we live on the altar. That means we live uh, not for ourselves; we live for Jesus. We live—we have died to ourselves. We have died to the law. We have died to sin, and we live unto the Lord. And our daily broken life, sacrificed and surrendered to what the Lord is, worship. Um, I wanted to open up another um, imagery. Let's see. Oh, I already talked about that. Sorry, I'm just looking through my notes, ladies. Um... Mm, yeah, the last thing I wanted to touch on was that worship costs us something. Um, so based on that image and also the image of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, Jesus giving up his life in obedience to the Lord, to the will of the Lord. Of course, also Jesus himself wanted to to save us, <laughs> but he did it in an act of complete obedience and worship to the Lord and the will of God. Um, so worship actually should cost us something. There is a story in, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, where Samuel, oh no, not Samuel, King David is offered some land for free. Um, and, and David, he rejects the offer and he says, I will not, he basically, Moray's paraphrased version, he's like, I'm not going to give any something to the Lord that costs me nothing. And that is that is the attitude of worship. And David, whoo, he's one of our main heroes, isn't he, in, in regard to worship. He His life was a life of worship. And it wasn't just because he sang songs on the harp to the Lord, but it was because of the way he lived the way he he understood that worship has to cost him something even a king 
It has to cost him something. So <clears throat> it is our greatest privilege and joy and, and honor to give God something that costs us something. And even though what costs us feels expensive to us, it's still, oh, it's so small compared to what he has given us. It's so small compared to what he's worthy of, but he still receives it and it pleases him. And that is incredible. He, he delights in, worship, in our worship of him. He delights in our lives that are laid down to him. And that's beautiful to remember. Um, I know that, um, actually, wait, sorry, I'll hold that thought. Um, yeah, let's skip ahead to the New Testament. So in John chapter 4, 21, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that God desires people who will worship in spirit and in truth. And that the physical um, and geographical location would not affect our worship anymore because God is looking for our hearts. That would have made no sense originally because God had only ever met with humans in a geographical, a physical or geographical location. Suddenly, that wasn't going to affect our worship because God was looking for our hearts. I think it's so important to realize that. Like, God in the Holy of Holies was so um, present in that room that people could die in that room. His presence was so all-consuming and powerful. And now he lives in our hearts. And, and sometimes I don't think we're aware of the magnitude of what that actually means and how, um, how, that, how much would, how would that change the way we see ourselves and also live our life if we realize that almighty God dwells in our hearts by the Holy Spirit? How would that change if we just even stopped and meditated on that thought, God dwells in me. God dwells in me. Wow. If it wasn't for Jesus redeeming us, this wouldn't be possible. But his desire all along was to dwell within us. Whew. So this is really also, I think when I'm speaking this out, I'm just hearing it's such a call to rise up in, our, in how we revere the Lord and live our lives and recognize the holiness of God. Because he has chosen to reside and dwell in us. Almighty God, the God who appeared to Moses in a burning bush, the God who rose, rose Jesus, raised rose Jesus from the grave, the God who split the Red Sea open, the God who held the sun in the sky for three days straight, the God who flooded the whole earth, that mighty God lives in your heart. What? And he's asking us to be the priests, the priests, priestesses, maybe I should say, because we are women. Just, I just think that thought is remarkable and worth pausing on and worth just reflecting on, putting and like reconsider your life and how you live with that framework in mind that you are the temple of the Lord. 
Your life is to minister to the Lord, to lift up incense and aroma of worship to the Lord in spirit and in truth, not in geographical location, not in traditions and rituals, not in the burnt offerings, but in spirit and in truth. Beautiful. Um, yeah, we became the temple of God as he always longed for from the moment he breathed his life into Adam. What? Jesus, the father breathed his life into Adam. And I believe already in the garden, he had destined us to house, to kind of host him. His very breath was given to Adam and to us. The garden itself was like a physical representation of a temple as well. If you look into the, if you look into that, that's very interesting actually. The Garden of Eden was a temple in itself, and Adam and Eve were the priests. But ever since God breathed His breath into Adam, His desire was to live in us, to reside in us. So take that take that thought with you throughout the rest of the week. You are the temple of the Lord, and worship is so much more than a song. Worship is a life laid down. Um, I, I can remember, I don't know when it happened, probably a few times on the mission field in Norway. It came with its challenges, you know. Being in a foreign country and leading in ministry whilst being in a foreign country is quite hard to lead while you don't have any of your familiar um, comforts backing you up. You don't have, you're not standing on anything familiar and nothing familiar is backing you up except the Lord and you're leading others. That can be quite challenging. Um, And there were days where I just felt so weak. I felt like just such a weak person. I needed time at home. I needed so much time alone to to just rest and get my my heart and my mind um, fixed on the Lord, to be strong on the inside. And there were just days where I would say to Felix, like, I just feel like the worst missionary ever. I'm in the foreign country and I'm spending most of my time in my house. <laughs> and the Lord really spoke to me and said, Maria, your life is a pleasing aroma to me because you're you're sacrificing it. It's hard. I see that it's hard. And I receive it as as worship. Um, the Lord receives a lot of what we do as worship. David dancing, that was worship. Hannah weeping and trusting the Lord for a son, worship. The woman who broke the jar at Jesus' feet, that was worship. These acts of worship move God's heart. I would even say, um, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say much about Moses' mom, but for her to have the faith to put a baby in a basket in, in a crocodile-infested Nile River, that obedience is worship. You know, there's so much more worship in the Bible than just the book of Psalms. Worship is, is our obedience, is our surrender, is our allegiance to the Lord. So I want to encourage you this week to reflect on what I've shared. 
And maybe we can do a second one of these as well, because I have a lot more I could talk about with worship, like congregational worship and um, the cost of dignity in worship, you know? Um, maybe we can talk more about that. Actually, yes. Anyway, thinking out loud. But reflect on that today and throughout the week. The fact that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you are the temple of the Lord and you are built and designed to worship God with your life. So let me just pray. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart with your spirit of revelation as we look in the scriptures and as we seek you, God. And even today as, who, as my sisters are listening to my voice, I pray that you would highlight whatever they need to hear. Remind us, um, of why we are living and what we're living for. Reveal to us areas where we can repent and, um, and uh, realign with our true design, our true destiny, our true purpose on this earth, which is to worship you and to minister to you, God. Teach us how to stay on the altar and not to crawl off it, <laughs> but to be willingly putting ourselves on the altar Again and again, teach us how to take up our cross. Teach us how to die to ourselves, Lord, and to live for you. God, we know that when we live for you, then we truly live. When we die, that's when we truly live. So I pray that you would give us more understanding and revelation about that and help us, help us, God. Give us hunger, give us thirst for you, God. Help us to truly align our lives with everything that Jesus purchased for us. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for choosing us. Help us to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. All right, girls, I hope you have a beautiful rest of the week or the day. And um, yeah, feel free to get in touch with me. I'm always happy to hear from you. Um, yeah, and stay tuned for more podcasts. Okay.